Thank you for joining the Georgia Chamber podcast. For 105 years, we have been the leading voice of business in the state of Georgia. Through these podcasts, we want to help you better understand the issues facing our state and how your business can grow and prosper. Thanks for joining us. To learn more, go to www.gachamber.com. Hi, this is Chris Clark, President and CEO of the Georgia Chamber of Commerce. Thank you for joining us today for our COVID-19 Resource and Recovery Virtual Conference with Attorney General Chris Carr. Before we jump into that discussion, I want to draw your attention to the gachamber.com slash COVID-19 website, where you can get the latest information about Governor Kemp's new executive order that allows the reopening of some businesses that were previously closed. You can get his executive order as well as details about small businesses and the 20 minimum business operation guidelines that are so very important for the business community. It is our responsibility as free market in Georgia to make sure that our customers, our clients, our employees feel safe and, uh, and have a healthy environment. Uh, that's our responsibility and we accept that responsibility and we're going to do our part. Before we jump on to the rest of our call, I want to thank our friends at Georgia Public Broadcast and the Georgia Hispanic Chamber of Commerce for our incredible partnership. And now I'm happy to introduce our good friend, uh, Attorney General Chris Carr. On the business aspects of what's happening over the last few weeks with the pandemic and the economic turmoil that's created, but underlying every executive order, every action of the government, are those legal platforms that are so very important and more and more, we're getting legal questions from our members. Uh, and Chris Carr has played such a key role. And, and Chris, we appreciate what you do, the uh, expertise you bring from being former commissioner of economic development in your role has been absolutely vitally important for our uh, continued economic growth before this. And I know it's going to be vital as we grow out of this uh, pandemic and then through, the, through this next recession. So thank you for joining us today, taking a few minutes out of your busy day. We'd love to get an update from you, and then I've got some questions from our members. Well, Chris, thank you so much. Uh, I, I can't thank you enough for asking me to be a part of today's call. It's wonderful to be with you. Of, of course, uh, I'm so appreciative of everything that the Georgia Chamber does uh, for business in our state, and it's great to be on with so many friends that are members of the Chamber and for their support for your organization. Uh, and for all of us. So uh, uh, appreciate this opportunity to be on. Uh, hopefully, again, I hope that all of your members and you and, and your family have been safe and well during this unique time. Uh, and we have been. It's been a busy time for us at the Department of Law. Uh, basically, there are three areas that we've been focused on. And, and one is, obviously, we are the lawyers for the executive branch of state government. So day to day, that hasn't stopped in any form or fashion, but one of the important roles that we've played is all of the different state agencies that have been a part of either Governor Kemp's task force or been on the front lines like GEMA or Department of Public Health and others, we've been uh, uh, actively involved in helping them as well from a legal standpoint. We provide the legal guidance, they make the operational decisions, uh, but there's a number of different or, uh, uh, agencies or boards or authorities that have been involved in this, the nursing board, the medical board, uh, anything that has to do with education, as you know. So there's a number of different group, groups. So day to day, our job is to tell them what the law allows them to do, what the law prohibits them from doing. And again, this is a unique time, first time in our state's history 
that a public health emergency has been declared. Obviously, we've had states of emergency that get declared when there's tornadoes or hurricanes, weather events, but this is unique. And so this is the first time we've gone down that path, and I think that we have an important role uh, really, you know, I always say it's our duty to defend the Constitution of the United States and the constitutional laws of the state of Georgia and represent the interests of the people. But truly, in a crisis like this, to be that referee, to be that neutral partner to say, you know, what the law requires, what the law prohibits, I think is important. Two other areas that we've been involved in and we can talk about a little bit more in some detail are price gouging. And anytime there's a, a state of emergency declared, Georgia's price gouging laws go into effect. This is a little bit unique from the other ones in that, again, oftentimes it's a hurricane, tornado, or weather event. So we'll see hotels and we'll see gas, water, uh, that sort of thing that will generally be impacted. But this has been a little bit different. This has been about public health and welfare. So we've seen price gouging uh, issues with toilet paper. We've seen it with hand sanitizer and disinfectants. We, we have seen it with food as we've seen a shortage in the supply chain and, and particularly as it relates to commodities. Uh, we've seen it with medical supplies. So it's been a little bit of a unique uh, opportunity for us and a unique approach that, that our team has had to take. And we've had over 900 complaints, which is by far the most number of complaints that we've seen you know, since I've been in office, at least in quite some time as well. And we investigate each one because as you're probably well aware, the price gouging law says you can't charge more after the state of emergency is declared than you could before, but you can take into consideration increasing costs in supply chain and increasing costs of inputs to the company. So it truly is an investigation and we could certainly talk about that a little bit more uh, later this morning. But finally, the, the other one is scams. And you know, we deal with scams all the time. We work with you and so grateful to work with the chamber on cybersecurity, particularly as it relates to small businesses, houses of worship, nonprofit, getting education or get, getting information out to folks to protect themselves. But this has been unique. You know, the criminals don't rest. They are certainly gonna take advantage of a situation where emotions are running high, where there's uncertainty as it relates to, you know, uh, healthcare concerns personally and community-wide. And so we've seen a lot of scams and I'll just give you a quick, list of some of the scams we've seen because a lot of them have to do with treatment or vaccines or cures which there aren't any yet we're, we're getting there but we've seen charity scams we've seen scams folks saying hey i got a company i want you to invest in my company because i have a cure or a vaccine or whatever it may be uh so we've seen a number of different uh scams down the line uh, also related to any some of the actions the federal government has taken particularly with the stimulus money Folks are getting texts from the federal government, so to speak, saying, click here to access your money. Well, the federal government doesn't text you. If they need you, they usually send you a letter. But what our investigators have told us, Chris, there are over 110,000 websites that have been created in the past few weeks and months, COVID-19 related, that are suspect and that are out there just to separate you or your business from your money or from you or your customers' personally identifiable information. So. Lots going on in the world, and, and we're proud to be uh, involved in it to protect the people of Georgia. Well, you know, a lot of those things are on the, the unseemly side of these kind of crises, and we spend so much time bragging about the heroes in business and on the front lines and in public safety that we really don't think about people trying to take advantage of others. And so thank you for being the watchdog and watching and helping and watch after that. I'm curious, let's talk a little bit more about how you investigate and prosecute those 
uh, not just the price gouging, but we've heard stories about illegal hoarding too, as you go through this. And I don't know, well, I don't know if hoarding is illegal or not, uh, but talk a little bit more about how, how you go after the price gouging, how you look at that, but particularly from the context that so many people now are ordering online from companies that are nexus out of the state of Georgia. And so what's the role of the Georgia Attorney General's office in those cases? That's a great question because there's the role that we play individually, but we've also gotten a lot of help from the private sector. And I, you, you make a great point. A lot of what we're seeing is online. Uh, it is, you know, some of it is still brick and mortar, but a lot of it is online. And you can, we've had a tremendous amount of help from Amazon and eBay and Facebook, but also from, you know, the Better Business Bureau, the Georgia Association of, of Convenience Stores and, and others that have really helped us understanding that now's not the time to be taking advantage of each other. Now's the time that we're supposed to be helping one another. So I commend the private sector for helping us with that. And obviously all that the private sector has done to really change focus, to help those that are on the front lines and focus, refocus on, on the crisis. But one of the things also we've tried to do is we've tried to communicate and collaborate with other partners like the federal government. So our, the middle uh, U S attorney for the middle district of Georgia is Charlie Peeler, a great guy. He formed a, the Coronavirus Fraud Task Force that comprises the U.S. Attorney's offices, our office, and the Governor's office, so that we could better communicate and coordinate on this issue because we're trying to be good not only for Georgia consumers, but also businesses that do it the right way. And Chris, that's one of the most important things. We oftentimes get complaints, not from individuals, but from businesses that are trying to follow the rules. And it isn't fair to those companies that are doing it the right way if somebody, you know, fly by night comes in and undercuts them. And again, most of the time, if I see complaints, it's not from folks that are members of your chamber. It's other folks that are somewhere else outside the state or fly by night or whatever it may be, but that's important. But to your question, hoarding, the president did uh, issue an executive order out uh, prohibiting hoarding as it related to medical supplies. So the U.S. attorneys are taking the lead on that issue. But what we did is in forming this task force, folks can reach out to us or any of the members of the group. We'll get the information to the right place. For Price gouging is a state issue only. So if the U.S. attorneys get it, they would contact us. But scams are, are unique. Scams are oftentimes, you know, it, it's oftentimes a state actor. It's somebody that's overseas. It's somebody that's out of state. You really do need the federal government to take part of it because there may be a national security piece as well as a law enforcement piece. But if a crime has been committed in the state of Georgia, we want to be able to tackle that. But as I mentioned, we investigate each and every one of the complaints. We either send a letter, we make a phone call, but we look into it. We want to let the company know that a complaint has been made, but it will take time for us to go through it. You know, in a typical um, natural disaster type crisis, we may get 50 to 100 complaints and it takes a while for us to get through that. As I mentioned before, we've had over 900. We have started seeing price gouging complaints slow down, and that's a good thing on a variety of reasons, but it will take time for us to get through it, but we wanna get it right. It's not supposed to be a game of gotcha. Uh, it's based on the rule of law and what the laws are in the state, and we take that very seriously. But Chris, if someone is suspecting price gouging or hoarding, um, what's the website or email? How do they reach out to your office to ask for help? Absolutely. Consumer.ga.gov is the website. Phone number 404-861-651-8600. The coffee hadn't quite all kicked in, Chris. 
Fair, fair enough. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit. One of the other issues I've had from quite a few of our members is is really HIPAA guidelines and patient privacy in this yep. day of coronavirus when you want to get the right information out so people can make the right decisions. You know, how does the state balance that patient privacy with HIPAA with the public and the press's need to know information about the outbreak? You know, it's exactly what you just said. It's a balance. We have to follow both HIPAA laws, which are federal laws, as well as make sure that folks are following the open meetings, open records laws, whatever it may be. And, and we recognize that we're, you know, as we've said before, Chris, there hasn't been a playbook for this. I mean, you know, some folks can say the Spanish flu of 1918, but that was kind of a long time ago and things have changed. But what we are all trying to do is we're trying to make the right decisions, make the best decisions. And I go back to the point that I made earlier. You know, I think that that's the important part of our job is to be able, folks can come to us and say, all right, what does the law allow? What does it prohibit? But as you're talking about these particular issues, healthcare related, you have to follow both. You have to be mindful of what HIPAA uh, requirements are, and you have to understand what the requirements of the state of Georgia are as it relates to open meetings, open records. So we've had it, we've tried to work closely with cities and counties as they've had questions on open meetings, open records. We represent the state agencies, so we provide guidance, legal guidance to them as well. But it is a balance, and it oftentimes is fact-based, so you take it on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, let's, let's keep that kind of that same theme going here and talk about from an employer standpoint. So what, what do you recommend or what do you suggest to an employer who has a staff, someone has COVID-19, sure. they're going to have to ha isolate from them? What's their, you know, what advice do you have for them? Uh, That's a, a great question. That, but yeah, first and foremost, I would say that you know, we got to follow the CDC guidelines. And that's what we've encouraged folks to do in the state through, you know, from the very, very beginning. Uh, this is, you, you know, this is kind of a unique situation that where you have an employee that does either suspects they are or ends up, uh, ends up contracting COVID-19. You have to balance a couple things. One is, the guidelines will tell you you need to immediately have that employee go home. But then you also have to notify those that may have had contact, but also keeping in mind HIPAA as well as ADA. So you got to balance that out as well. So, but I, the, the most important thing I would encourage companies to do, go to the CDC's website. It's got guidance for all of these issues. I've given you kind of the overview of the big picture to consider, but balancing out, you know, making sure you're taking care of the health and well-being of you and your employees and you and your company and also making sure that the that the law is followed and there are good guidance that the CDC provides. So along those same lines, Chris, you know, we're we're talking a lot about businesses reopening, but we also have concerns about the employees, right? We, we want to care for our employees and our customers. Um, what do you suggest to a company that would an employee face any type of discrimination or should there be any concerns if they inform their employer, hey, I've got COVID-19, I can't come to work now. Are there protections in labor law for legal protections for individuals? And I would make sure that I was aware of those as well. But, but, but let's not, I would just encourage everybody, don't do it. You know, I, I understand there's an interest in healthcare and that's one thing to be able to protect one another uh, from contracting the virus, but then discriminating in any way against an individual who does or thinks that they may have uh, is gonna be problematic. Okay. 
Um, so let's fast forward now to the governor's executive order that just came out that allows basically phase one of the economy, a slow reopening, allows some of those businesses to, to do the minimum basic operating uh, procedures. There's some concern out there from business about liability. And so I'm a small business, I'm reopening, I'm, I'm following all 20 of those executive order guidelines. But I'm also worried, though, that somebody might come in and sue me, either in a frivolous lawsuit or there might be some other issue. And so help guide us a little bit or give us some recommendations here about how you basically have liability protection as we start to reopen in a very difficult climate um, with a lot of unknowns out there. No, that's a great question. One we've heard of in the medical uh, space and we've heard in some other areas. And I know we, we may not know for sure until we get past this particular phase of, of the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, you know, none of the liability statutes have been suspended. There have been some shoring up. I know the governor had issued an executive order as it related to healthcare uh, and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and so it obviously will be on a case-by-case -case basis, but I think if you follow, my, my, my back of the napkin advice would be, if you are following what the, the guidance is, then I, that to me would be a defense uh, arguably, you know, in court for companies to do. And, and I think that's an important point though, Chris, you know, some are saying that, that, that this has been reckless and not thought out. That's not the case at all. I mean, I think if you look at this measured and balanced approach that we've been taking from the beginning, and I would also, you know, suggest and point out, you know, Georgia never shut down. I mean, there were 13 different sub industry groups where we said, all right, we're going to close those for a short period of time, but allowing basic minimum operation or minimum basic operation, and allowed a lot of companies to continue to go forward in a smart way. Well, that's what this is. It's based on data and it's based on good best practices. And when you look at those 20 points, and I'm sure that your members have, but if you have not, I encourage you, the next thing you do after this call, go track down that executive order. Those are 20 fairly stringent guidelines that people have to follow in order to stay open and remain open. But I also think, Chris, there's been a psychological effect of this entire you know, COVID crisis, and, and that's going to be part of it. And, and I, the economy will come back as people feel more comfortable doing certain things. And these are the types of things that the governor has put into place that will allow people to have trust. And I think companies are, would be wise to do this and take the, whatever makes sense for your company and your particular area. It seems to me that, that again, the private sector can respond and does respond. I'm a, I'm a big market guy, and I think that, that companies will be rewarded that make sure that, that their employees are protected and their customers are protected as well. But th there's been this balance that we've had that has been right. One, let's make sure we take care of the people of this state. It is tragic for anybody to get to contract COVID. It's tragic if anybody passes away. And it's also very disruptive, and it can be tragic to lose your job or lose your business or lose your livelihood or your way to, to make a living. There's been this balance and it should be based on data. It should be evidence-based and best practices. And that's what we're doing in Georgia. And we're doing it slowly and methodically. You made a great point. This is phase one. And there are some great studies out there that talk about reopening and, and what data points you need to hit. And that's what we're doing. But I think it's important that we allow folks to be able to make a living in a safe way if it can be done. But if it can't be, if these guidelines can't be followed, then either the state can come in and, and close those, those groups or, you know, the, the market may punish companies as well if they don't. So I think there's, I think that's important for us to remember. And I think there's, there's two points there worth going back to. One, I look at this like a dimmer switch, right? Mm -hmm. 
the governor's slowly turning back up that dimmer switch for us. But if the data comes back and we have research, you turn the, the dimmer back down. And I think building the minimum basic operation standards have allowed businesses to adjust and turn their own dimmer switch up and down. Two, if an employee doesn't feel comfortable going back to work, they need to talk to their employer and have that conversation. Third, if a customer doesn't feel comfortable, we're still under a shelter in place. No one's making you go to these businesses. That's right. No one's forcing you to go there. But the other point, and this is one that we keep reemphasizing to businesses in Georgia, the free enterprise system, businesses in Georgia have a responsibility to take care of and provide for the public health and safety of their employees, their customers, and their clients. We have to earn uh, the customer's support uh, back again. And so if they feel comfortable and safe in our workplaces, then they'll come in there and will thrive. If not, the market will push them somewhere else to your earlier point. So I appreciate the work that you've done to help build that system out, Chris. Well, and you know this too, Chris, let's unleash the power of Georgia's free enterprise system. Let's unleash the power safely and appropriately. But look, Emory's on the front edge of a vaccine. Look at Kia has made changes. Look at Delta has, has, is stepping up and helping folks. Look at UPS. Look at what happens when safely and appropriately we allow the market to, to we unleash that power. We got some intellectual horsepower in this state. We can be at the cutting edge in the front end and do it right. Because to your point, it will benefit none of us, the governor, the state, businesses, for us to backslide. So there, there's no reason to be, quote, risky. It's methodical, and I would encourage folks to look at the data, look at the facts, and look at how this is being done. And fortunately, the modeling has shown where it initially said that we were going to hit our peak about April 23rd or May 1st. The modeling out of Washington is now showing it's actually was April the 15th as it relates mm -hmm. to beds and as it relates to deaths. And that's, that's positive news, but we got to continue to monitor it, and that's what the state has said it will do. It will continue to monitor, and if things change, you can always uh, do something else. But um, um, I, I think, uh, you know, I support what the governor has done, and I think we got to continue to move in this direction safely, smartly, and appropriately. Amen. I love what General Cardin said yesterday. He said, when you put public, private, and academia together in the state of Georgia, there's nothing we can't accomplish. And I think we've seen that, to your point, with Emory, Augusta uh, University, and, and all of our other institutions out there. It's been a great partnership. Well, uh, and we saw yeah. that's why we recruit and that's why companies stay here, right? It's, it's that yeah, ecosystem. That's right. That's right. Um, General, one last question for you. Either now or as you think about coming out of the crisis, what keeps you up at night? What are you telling your employees, your attorneys to start focusing on and looking, uh, looking into the future? Lessons learned. I mean, that's not, it doesn't keep me up, but that's the thing. I, what are the lessons that we've learned? What are the things that have now become opportunities and technologies clearly one? I mean, there's no, you look at telemedicine, you look at education, you look at, I mean, Uber Eats and Grub and Grubhub and, and, you know, Instacart, you know, ways that things that our lives could be improved and taken care of because of that. And then what are the challenges that we have? Uh, but I think how we do business, you know, how we as employers operate. I mean, we've learned a lot about teleworking. There's, you know, there's some real strengths and some things that we can do. I don't want to lose that human interaction. You know, I want to give that collaboration, that ability to, to brainstorm, do that sort of thing. But there's ways now with Zoom, like we're doing now, WebEx and others. So what are those lessons learned? What do we need to do individually as a department, as a, st a state uh, kind of going forward? I mean, that's the big thing. And, and uh, uh, you know, Chris, I know the world is different. 
but I don't know that we know how the world is different. And we may not know that for some period of time. So again, being data-based, evidence-based, research-based, understanding what that is, uh, it'll be stronger. But I do think, you know, it's the same, for the same reasons that we always were good at attracting companies, Georgia, whether it's because of Hartsfield and the ports, the infrastructure, the workforce, we never had to put on the table as many incentives as other people did because of what we already have from an infrastructure standpoint. Well, I think that same infrastructure is going to benefit us coming out of it. And I want to commend the Department of Economic Development too. They've really been in the fight in the, and they have really helped companies focus and they're continuing to work with companies. And, and I, you know, I'm biased. I'm very proud of that. It's just an unbelievable group of people that work with you and, and chambers around the state, but they've done a phenomenal job, not just in the now, but in the tomorrow. And I think that that's really going to benefit us. I couldn't agree more. I think that's a great way to leave it today. Um, Attorney General, we appreciate you. We continue to pray for you, your family, uh, and all your, your team over there and the incredible job that you're doing. Thank you on behalf of the business community of the state of Georgia. I want to remind those that are watching, you can go to the gachamber.com slash COVID-19 landing page to get the latest information uh, about the governor's executive order and those 20 guidelines. Uh, about how you have your minimum business operations. Also, you can find that information about future calls on rural Georgia with Gary Black and with Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger with our friends at the Georgia Hispanic Chamber. Thank you again, General, for being with us. And I'll ask us all to continue to pray for our state of Georgia.